This is Space Time Series 26, Episode 32, for broadcast on the 15th of March 2023. Coming up on Space Time, the Mars helicopter undertakes its 46th flight on the Red Planet, more evidence that Mimus could be a stealth ocean world, and two NASA spacecraft back online following separate computer glitches. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA's Mars Ingenuity helicopter has undertaken its 46th flight across the greeny skies of the Red Planet. The 445-metre-long flight was designed to reposition the tissue-box-sized twin-rotor chopper for future scouting missions. Mission managers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, say the aircraft flew at an altitude of 12 metres for 135.9 seconds, reaching a top speed of 5.3 metres per second. It's another success story for the tiny little chopper. Ingenuity arrived in Jezero Crater attached to the underbelly of the Mars Perseverance rover back in February 2021. Its mission was simply to see whether or not an aircraft could fly in the ultra-thin Martian atmosphere. The 1.8-kilogram autonomous drone has now well and truly exceeded its original five-test flight program providing valuable advanced scouting services for the Perseverance rover in its ongoing search for past life on the Red Planet and the collection of geological samples for eventual return to Earth. Importantly, the choppers also survived a cold Martian winter. And when winter comes to Mars, the surface of the Red Planet is transformed into a truly otherworldly scene. Snow, ice and frost accompany the season's sub-zero temperatures. Some of the coldest of these occur at the planet's poles, where it can get down to as low as minus 123 degrees Celsius. But cold as it is, don't expect any snowdrifts. No region of Mars gets more than a metre of snow anyway, and most of that falls over extremely flat areas. And the red planet's elliptical orbit means it takes many more months for winter to come around. Remember, a single Martian year equates to two Earth years. Still, the Red Planet does offer some unique winter phenomena that scientists have been able to study thanks to NASA's robotic Mars explorers. Unlike the Earth, Martian snow comes in two very separate and distinct varieties. There's water ice and there's carbon dioxide or dry ice. Because Martian air is so thin and the temperature is so cold, water ice snow sublimates or becomes a gas before it touches the ground. The dry ice snow, that's the one from carbon dioxide, actually does reach the ground. But the snow only really occurs in the coldest extremes of Mars, that is the poles, and usually under cloud cover and at night. Cameras on most orbiting spacecraft can't see through those clouds, and because it's so far north, there are no surface missions there. It's simply too cold for the rovers to survive. As a result, no images of falling Martian snow have ever been captured. But scientists know it does happen thanks to a few special instruments. NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter can peer through the clouds using its Mars Climate Sounder instrument, which detects light in wavelengths imperceptible to the human eye. And this ability has allowed scientists to detect carbon dioxide snow falling onto the ground. 
And back in 2008, NASA sent its Phoenix lander to Mars. Phoenix landed within 1,600 kilometres of the Martian North Pole, and from that location, it was able to use a laser to detect water ice falling as snow. Because of how water molecules bond together when they freeze, snowflakes on Earth have six sides. And the same principle applies to all crystals. The way in which atoms arrange themselves determines a crystal shape. In the case of carbon dioxide, however, the molecules in dry ice always bond in forms of four when frozen. And because carbon dioxide ice has a symmetry of four, scientists know that dry ice snowflakes would be cube-shaped. And thanks to the Mars Climate Sounder, we can tell that these snowflakes would be smaller than the width of a human hair. Water and carbon dioxide each form frost on the Martian surface. And both types of frost appear far more widely across the planet than snow does. The Viking landers saw water frost when they studied Mars in the 1970s. Or more recently, NASA's Mars Odyssey Observer spacecraft observed frost forming and sublimating away in the morning sun. But perhaps the most fabulous discovery comes at the end of the Martian winter, when all the ice that builds up begins to thaw and sublimate back into the atmosphere. As it does so, the ice takes on bizarre and beautiful shapes that have reminded scientists of spiders and Dalmatian spots, fried eggs and even Swiss cheese. The thawing also causes geysers to erupt. See, translucent ice allows sunlight to heat the gas underneath it, and that gas eventually bursts out, sending fans of dust into the sky. And scientists can then study these fans to learn more about which way the Martian winds are blowing. This report from NASA TV. Did you know that Mars experiences snow, ice and a real winter? Let's go check it out with our NASA spacecraft. Let It Snow takes on a whole new meaning on Mars. I'm Marina Jurica here with Sylvain Picot, and we are talking about snow, ice, and frost on the red planet. Welcome, Sylvain. Now, I know it's really cold on Mars, but there's also snow and ice. Mars is a very dry place, but if you go to the right locations, you will find water ice, just like the one we have on Earth, but also CO2 ice or dry ice. Now, I know we can see frost at the poles, but can you see frost anywhere else on Mars? In the 1970s, the Viking landers observed water frost forming on the ground far away from the poles. So we know that the frost, similar to what we have on Earth, forms in those landscapes on Mars. That is cool. We also know from Mars Odyssey that we have two kinds of frost. We can observe water frost in many other locations than what Viking observed but also CO2 frost, something that we don't have on Earth. It is extremely cold where you'll find CO2 ice, something like minus 190 degrees Fahrenheit. The CO2 ice does not melt. Instead, it goes back from solid to gas directly in the atmosphere. That leads to the formation of really unique surface features. For example, we see spider-shaped features, fans, geysers, Dalmatian spots, fried eggs, all kinds of unique objects that are really challenging to understand, but that are beautiful and unique to Mars. What else have our various Mars missions taught us about the snow on the red planet? A few things. First, the Phoenix lander 
A NASA mission that arrived at Mars in 2008 observed beautiful frost landscapes that formed around it. The Phoenix lander had a uh, LIDAR. This is an instrument that shoots a laser up, and if there's a cloud or something that's uh, falling down from the sky, like snow, you get a return. Basically, you light up the sky, and you can see when snow forms and falls, and it did. The Phoenix lander was also able to scratch the surface and for the first time see this water ice just below the ground. This is the kind of water ice that astronauts could potentially use in the future when we go there. And in that report from NASA TV, we heard from Mars scientist Sylvain Pico from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. This is space time. Still to come. There's growing evidence that Saturn's tiny ice moon Mimas could be another ocean world. And two NASA spacecraft back online following separate computer glitches. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, NordVPN. Are you looking for a reliable and secure virtual private network? Well, you need look no further than NordVPN. With their state-of-the-art encryption technology, NordVPN ensures that your personal data and that of your family remains perfectly secure no matter where in the world you're browsing or streaming content. Plus, with their special birthday deal right now, there's never been a better time to get started with this incredible service. You need to remember when using unsecured public networks, like those found in coffee shops, anyone can access and exploit sensitive information on unprotected devices, including yours. But when you use a mobile VPN, like NordVPN, not only will all your data be encrypted, but also hidden away from prying eyes who may be trying to gain access without permissions. In addition to providing unparalleled security measures for internet users everywhere, they also offer lightning-fast speeds, which makes streaming videos or downloading large files effortless tasks, even while connected through public networks. And of course, there's also a 24-7 customer support team ready, willing, and able to answer any questions you might have regarding either the setup process or any related user queries. And of course, by signing up through our special space-time URL, you'll get some great value subscription plans at really huge discounts. Plus, there are bonus gifts and a whole range of payment options. And of course, it all comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Just go to nordvpn.com slash Gary for all the details. That URL again, nordvpn.com slash Gary. And of course, you'll find those URL details in the show notes and on our website. And now, it's back to our show. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. There's growing evidence that Saturn's tiny ice moon Mimas could be another ocean world, or at least in the process of transforming into one. The findings, reported in the journal Geophysical Research Letters, are based on new computer simulations of the 396-kilometer-wide moon, which is the smallest celestial body known to have evolved into a spherical shape due to self-gravity. Astronomers got interested when they discovered surprising evidence that Mimas could generate the right amount of heat to support a liquid internal ocean. 
Numerical simulation of the Moon's gigantic 130-kilometre-wide Herschel Impact Basin, the most striking feature on its heavily cratered surface, determined that the basin's structure and the lack of tectonics on Mimas are compatible with a thinning ice shell and a geologically young ocean. One of the study's authors, Alyssa Roden from the Southwest Research Institute in San Antonio, Texas, says NASA's Cassini mission to Saturn identified a curious libration that is an oscillation in Mimas' rotation. These sorts of librations often point to a geologically active body able to support an internal ocean. Rodin says Mimas seems like an unlikely candidate, with its icy, heavily cratered surface marked by this giant impact crater that makes the tiny moon look like the Death Star from Star Wars. That's no moon. If Mimas is an ocean, then it represents a new class of small stealth ocean worlds with surfaces that don't betray the ocean's existence. The models showed that Mimas's ice shell had to be at least 55 kilometers thick at the time of the Herschel-forming impact. Now, in contrast, observations of Mimas and models of its internal heating limit the present-day ice shell thickness to less than 30 kilometers. That's if it currently harbors a subsurface ocean. The results imply that the present-day ocean within Mimas must have been warming and expanding ever since the basin formed. It's also possible that Mimas was already entirely frozen, both at the time of the Herschel impact and at present. However, the authors found that including an interior ocean in the impact models helped produce the shape of the Herschel basin. You see, Herschel could not have formed in an ice shell with the present-day thickness, at least not without obliterating the ice shell at the impact site. The authors say if Mimas has an ocean today, then its ice shell must have been thinning ever since the formation of Herschel, which would also explain the lack of any fractures on Mimas. If Mimas is an emerging ocean world, then that places important constraints on the formation, evolution, and habitability of all mid-sized moons on Saturn. Though the results support a present-day ocean within Mimas, it's challenging to reconcile the moon's orbital and geological characteristics with science's current understanding of its thermal orbital evolution. See, the surface area of Mimas is slightly less than the land area of the U.S. state of California. The low density of Mimas, just 1.15 grams per cubic centimeter, indicate that it is composed mostly of water ice with only a small amount of rock. And as a result of the gravitational tidal forces acting on it, Mimas is noticeably prolate, with its longest axis some 10% longer than its shortest. But we always come back to Mimas's most distinctive feature, the giant Herschel impact crater, which is almost a third of Mimas's total diameter. Its walls are approximately 5 kilometers high. Parts of its floor measure 10 kilometers deep and its central peak rises some 6 kilometers above the crater floor. The impact that made this crater must have nearly shattered Mimas to pieces. The surface antipodal to Herschel is highly disrupted, indicating that the shockwaves created by the Herschel impact propagated right through the entire moon. The Mimatean surface, and yes, that's how you say it, is saturated with smaller impact craters, but no others are anywhere near the size of Herschel. And although Mimas is heavily cratered, the cratering is not uniform. Most of the surface is covered with craters larger than 40 kilometers in diameter. But in the South Pole region, there are generally no craters larger than 20 kilometers in diameter. Evaluating Mimas' status as an ocean moon would benchmark models of its formation and evolution. 
and this would help astronomers better understand Saturn's rings and mid-sized moons, as well as the prevalence of potentially habitable ocean moons, especially Uranus. All of which makes Mimas a compelling target for continued investigation. This is space time. Still to come, two NASA spacecraft back on track following separate computer glitches, and later in the science report, a new study has found a rapid and unprecedented increase in ocean plastics since 2005. All that and more still to come on Space Time. NASA's Interstellar Boundary Explorer spacecraft IBEX has returned to operational status after suffering a computer glitch last month which saw the probe enter an emergency contingency mode after suddenly becoming unresponsive to commands after resetting its flight computer. To take the spacecraft out of its contingency mode, mission managers performed what they call a fire code reset, which is an external reset of the spacecraft. The other option would have been to wait for the spacecraft to perform an autonomous reset and power cycle. The external reset decision was taken because of the favourable communications environment around IPEX perigee. That's the point of the spacecraft's orbit when it's nearest the Earth. After the reset, all command capabilities were restored. And the spacecraft's telemetry shows that it's now fully operational and functioning nominally. But no word yet as to what actually triggered the issue in the first place. Launched in October 2008, IBEX is mapping the boundary where solar winds, that stream of charged particles flowing out from the sun, interact with interstellar space and the stellar winds from other stars. Meanwhile, there's no answers yet as to why NASA's MAVEN spacecraft, which is orbiting Mars, suffered its own computer glitch last month. MAVEN entered safe mode after encountering an issue with its inertial measurement unit, which measures the spacecraft's rotation. The IMU had been powered up in preparation for a minor maneuver targeted to reduce eclipse durations in 2027. The probe exited safe mode and is currently operating in all stellar mode, which doesn't rely on IMU measurements. All communications relay and scientific operations are continuing nominally. But mission managers are still trying to determine what exactly caused the problem and how to respond. MAVEN was launched in November 2013, entering Mars orbit in September 2014. The mission is studying the red planet's upper atmosphere, ionosphere and interactions with the sun and solar wind in order to better understand the loss of the Martian atmosphere into space. Understanding atmospheric loss on Mars gives scientists a better insight into the history of the red planet's atmosphere and climate, the loss of its liquid water and some clues about the planet's past habitability. As well as its own scientific mission, MAVEN also acts as a communications relay satellite, picking up signals from the ground and from other orbiting satellites and then transmitting them back to Earth. A vital role when you're so far from home. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study has found a rapid and unprecedented increase in ocean plastics since 2005. 
Warnings reported in the journal PLOS One are based on a global data set of ocean plastic pollution between 1979 and 2019. The study estimates that some 171 trillion plastic particles, primarily microplastics, weighing between 1.1 and 4.9 million tons, are currently floating on the surface of the ocean. The authors are calling for urgent, legally binding international policies to minimise the ecological, social and economic harm from aquatic plastic pollution. A new study suggests that Pfizer's bivalent vaccine targeting Omicron BA1 and the original COVID-19 variant can induce a higher level of neutralising antibodies than what the original Pfizer vaccine was capable of. The findings, reported in the New England Journal of Medicine, are based on new Phase 3 trials of the vaccine. The researchers gave some 1,800 people who previously received three Pfizer vaccines a fourth dose, either of the bivalent vaccine, the original Pfizer vaccine, or a monovalent vaccine only targeting Omicron BA1. They found safety was similar across all the vaccines and the bivalent and monovalent vaccines targeting BA1 induced substantial neutralizing responses when exposed to ancestral COVID-19, as well as Omicron BA1, and to a lesser extent, newer Omicron variants. The authors say longer-term research is needed to see how this response holds up, but at this stage the bivalent boosters appear to provide a larger breadth of immunity against variants. Over 6.8 million people have now been killed by the COVID-19 coronavirus since it was first detected in China's Wuhan Institute of Virology around September 2019. The World Health Organization estimates the true death toll is likely to be over 16 million, with some 672 million confirmed cases globally. A new survey has found almost a third of people who inject drugs in Australia are resistant to taking COVID-19 vaccines, and another third are hesitant. The findings, reported in the journal Drug and Alcohol Review, are based on a survey of 900 people who inject drugs and who are asked about their views on COVID-19 vaccination. They say people who had unstable housing, were younger, and mostly used methamphetamine were likely to be less willing to get a COVID-19 vaccination. They say those who were vaccine-hesitant were likely to express a lack of trust in the government and a belief that COVID-19 is not severe. It's been a busy week in tech with Sonos releasing its latest generation smart speakers and the ACCC announces plans to set its sights on those operating online. With all the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from ITY.com. Well, this is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, and they've got a digital platforms branch, which is conducting a five-year inquiry into markets for the supply of digital platform services in Australia, and obviously their impacts on competition and consumers. Now, this was following a direction from the then federal treasurer in 2020, and it reports to the treasurer every six months. What it does is it examines the different forms of digital platform services, the advertising services, as well as data brokers. Sounds to me like they're bringing the digital world into the real world. Yeah, well, I mean, they're looking at large digital platform service providers like Alphabet, which of course is Google, Amazon, Apple, Meta, which of course is Facebook, and Microsoft. And all of these companies are continuing to invest heavily across different sectors and technologies. And this all creates an interconnected uh, set of products and services. And of course, we now have AI as the big thing that all of these companies jumping into 
And the ACCC says it's crucial that they examine how these companies are expanding their reach. But it poses questions and seeks submissions from consumers, from businesses and interested stakeholders about the investment decisions made by these digital platforms. And the interim report uh, will examine products and services offered by those guys across a variety of sectors. And they'll use examples like the expansion into consumer cloud storage and smart home devices to analyze the relationships between the digital platform services and the various uh, services offered in their digital platform ecosystems. And, you know, they're looking at bundling and they're looking at tying products together, so you need to get one to get another. Uh, they're looking at uh, self-preferencing where, you know, they get preferential treatment for their own services. And they're even looking at things like dark patterns, which refers to the design of user interfaces intended to confuse users, you know, to make it difficult for users to express their actual preferences or manipulate users into taking certain actions. So, look, it's one of these government reports. I mean, it's something that uh, the government needs to be looking at and investigating and making sure these companies don't overreach or trap consumers into things that they need uh, with certain bundles or or trap them with, you know, confusing user interfaces. And, look, there needs to be regulation of some sort. It's been the wild, wild web for too long, uh, and there has been plenty of regulation in the past. And the things that Australia has done has influenced what other countries have done and, and vice versa. So, look, we, we're yet to see what the interim report is going to say about, you know, the last six months' worth. But, of course, the last six months has been, as I said before, when we've had all this chat GPT and AI blossoming. So it's going to be a very interesting report. And also some new smart speakers on the way. Tell me about them. Yeah, Sonos is well known for its uh, sound systems that are able to play the same music in all rooms or different music in different rooms that have been around for you know, well over a decade, probably nearly a couple of decades. And they've just introduced new versions that replace the older versions they've had on the market for some years. And this is called the Sonos Era 300 and the Sonos Era 100. And they're talking about immersive listening. So with the Era 300, which is the uh, you know, more advanced model, they're calling it a revolutionary new speaker built to deliver the best experience for out loud spatial audio. That's audio that you can hear from all the different directions you can hear people behind you. You can hear instruments uh, in different places as opposed to mono or stereo. And uh, they've got six powerful drivers in this particular unit to direct sound, left, right, forward, and upward as well. And so this is claimed to deliver a breakthrough audio performance, which, of course, as you'd expect, features Dolby Atmos. Now, the cheaper model is the era 100, and this is a, they call it a remastering of their best-selling Sonos One series, which is the one that's been on sale for the past few years, and it's got next-gen acoustics. And in additional news that will please Apple Music listeners, Sonos has said it will add support for spatial audio on Apple Music starting from March 29, 2023 in Australia. So this is a, an upgrade to the uh, speaker systems that uh, Sonos has been delivering. And they were delivering speaker systems long before you know, the HomePod arrived or the Google devices arrived. So they've got some pedigree in this area. You know, they're, they're coming to uh, a store near you soon. So, you know, obviously those who already have Sonos speakers may be tempted to upgrade and the existing models I'm sure will work for some years yet. But uh, as with everything, with new phones, with new TV, there's new cars, there's new everything else. Well, there's new smart speakers from Sonos as well. That's Alex Sahara Royd from ity.com. And that's the show for now. Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, 
SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from spacetimewithstuartgary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial-free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group, and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more Spacetime, please check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimeWithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel, and on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash SpacetimeWithStuartGary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.